Homesteads and Homeschools as part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out This Week in Liberpods, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and Free Markets Green Earth. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican. Hey, everybody out there. What is popping off in your neighborhood, folks? It's me. I'm back. Your host, the Liberty Hippie, here with you for another episode of Homesteads and Homeschools. This is episode number 85, which means you can find the show notes at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 085. So my guest today, I reached out to my guest today, um, He'd been on my radar for a, a long time, I think as far back as this show's beginnings. But I just, uh, I was kind of waiting, you know, always waiting to ask some of the, the bigger names to come talk, you know, wait, wait till I'm established, wait till, you know, uh, grow in popularity, something, right? There's always excuses not to, to reach out to big people. But, uh, I did. And, uh, yeah, we had a, a pretty good conversation. I think you guys will like it. It ended up being more of a sort of a dual interview, just more of a, a conversation between the two of us than just a uh, one of my, my typical interviews. Anyway, guys, that guest is uh, Mr. Brett Vanois of the School Sucks Project. If you don't know what the School Sucks Project is, I, I, I just don't know what to tell you. Um, go figure it out. Check it out after the show. After the show. Wait. Just wait till this show is done. Go over to schoolsucksproject.com and, and check it out. Brett has been out there for a while doing this thing. I'm really kind of getting the message out there. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a wonderful experience to get him on and to uh, have a chance to to chat. He's got lots of good good stuff on his show, so go go and check that out. Make sure you subscribe to both of our shows. So I guess that's all for now. Let's go plant those Liberty Seeds with my co-guest, Mr. Brett Fellwell. This is a joint production of School Sucks Podcast and another podcast I was very excited to learn about, uh, Homesteads and Homeschools, and the host is Ben, and Ben wrote to me and said, can I have you on my show for 30 minutes? And I said, I want to ask you as many questions as you ask me, because I'm very interested in what you're doing. So, uh, welcome to both of our shows, <laughs> Ben. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks for having me on. Welcome, welcome to, to Homesteads and Homeschools as well. We actually have a mutual friend, uh, Nikki P. from Cleveland, who is a podcaster himself. He hosts the show Peace Freaks. How do you know that sweet young man? Uh, well, we host a show called Free Markets Green Earth. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, taking, taking a look at environmental issues, sort oh. of, but more through a, a free market perspective. You know how the EPA does does things worse than uh, the market might, or doom and gloom problems out there, and why they're why they are doom and gloom, and why they're not really doom and gloom. Yeah, just started doing some reviews of Captain Planet, so 
Exactly. Remind you of your childhood. Indeed, indeed. (laughs) So you started this podcast, uh, what was it, back at the beginning of 2019? And I was like, there is a guy who is out ahead of things nicely. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's been a wild uh, time, really. It hasn't affected us too much, you know, because we're kind of out of it. But um, just seeing people, like cousins and, and relatives, going through the whole distance learning fiasco. Has anyone uh, asked you for your advice about like what to do as a homeschool parent, which is something that we're going to get into? Not really. I mean, like in within like our local community, you know, some people have have questions. A few people randomly will will reach out and. You know, part of what I try to do with my show, right, is it's not, this is how you do it. It's, well, this is how this person does it. And that's how this person does it. And maybe somewhere in there, you can glean something that might work for you, um, you know, or, or spark some idea in your your brain that you want to try. And you're a parent of four children. Yeah, we have we have four four children. Our old, so right now we're, we're homeschooling our oldest two. Our youngest two are um, six and four. Uh, and we adopted them three years ago, coming up on three years. They are going to be at the public school this year for first grade and pre-K. And that has been uh, quite an interesting decision-making process. It's one of those where I'm really very hesitant to do it. But at the same time, I think some of those relationships haven't progressed to the point where we are able to truly engage in like a, a homeschool I think as a child, right, when you have a kid from day one and they're born and they know your parent, right? They know you love them. They know you're there for them. Mm-hmm. And so when you have to have tough conversations and, and do all those things that, that come and, and be a teacher and less a parent, they're there for that. They're, they're understanding of that. And I think we're kind of running into some, some walls with that. We don't quite have the, uh, the relationships built up to where they, they need to be. Um, and I think there might be some, you know, some other underlying stuff that, uh, might be of use. The plan is to get them out either at the end of this year or or next year, depending on how it all all goes. Yeah. So I had um, I run these discussion groups for my my university virtual summit every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and we we were having a conversation this morning. And this one guy is actually a public school teacher in Connecticut, and uh, we were talking a lot about preparation and on the parenting side, getting ready to send a child into the system right now. What and, and I, I know it might be a little uh, tougher because it is uh, first grade and you don't have a lot of experience with this. And um, your oldest is like ten, right? And you were yeah, he's ten. Him from the start. Yeah, he he went when we he went to kindergarten, um, right. and that was when we. After that, it was all right. We're you know homeschooling. So, what's it like on the parenting side as you as you get these two ready to go to public school now with everything that's going on? There are so many parts of it. It's just it's 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 really absurd just it, it's scary and it, it's scary not for the the reasons that um i think main population would be, be freaking out but it's like they have to wear these colored lanyards and you know kids with masks and just trying to you're you're not allowed in the building as a parent i can go into the office um but that's it after that they're on their own um i can't drop them off the first day and walk them to their classroom i can't walk them down the hallway i can't get out of the car um and that's a little you know scary. That's scary, I think. And I don't know how we're going to do that. <laughs> We've talked about it already, but you know, talking to a four-year-old, it's not going to matter too much come, come Tuesday morning. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely transfers a lot of additional power. It seems just, just from what I've gathered so far in the conversations that I've had, it's transferring a lot of power away from parents into the schools on top of what the schools already had. Yeah. Do you feel optimistic about, I'm, I'm going to bet, and maybe I'm wrong, but are you familiar with Jack Spearco survival podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jack's been doing these shows recently on megatrends and one, or maybe they're not even shows. Maybe he's just writing articles because what I read were articles, but I'm sure he's talked about it on his podcast. I haven't listened recently. One was about K through 12. And then he did another one about uh, higher ed and how these things are contributing to a coming economic collapse. And he kind of explains the, the causality of this. But he, as somebody who's obviously very supportive of homeschooling like we are, certainly sees a, a silver lining in that the current situation, I think he kind of he punctuates one of his articles by saying this whole thing, this COVID thing is um, killing what's already dying as far as like institutions are concerned. And obviously school is one. These trends were um, in motion before this even happened. But polls have shown like 40 percent uh, more uh, parents are now, uh, they say they are more likely, and I don't know what more likely translates into as far mm-hmm. as actually how many kids are going to be pulled out of school. I had a really hard time pinning down actual numbers. I know it was around 2.5 million last school year were homeschooled. Jack's projections, and, and you know he's done a lot of research on this, in a couple of years, it'll be up to 10 or 15 million people. So that's why I, you know, looking what you're doing, which is basically about how to get out of the government education system and how to get out of cities. Yeah. Here's a guy who's, who's out ahead of this thing nicely. But what, what are your thoughts as far as like optimism, uh, as far as what's happening now, considering you're probably having, or you have been having since like April or May conversations with people about what's going to happen come fall with public school. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think when it when it first started out, I was kind of optimistic um, that that this would help kind of wake people up. Um, you know, they they see the distance learning stuff come home, they see the the schoolwork come home, they realize how much time is either wasted in school or how much uh, busy work um, stuff that's uh, you know that's not necessarily applicable to to life or or education beyond knowing a fact because somebody somewhere says I need to know it. Um, as that's gone on, I, I feel like it's kind of people have lost that. People see it and are more annoyed or frustrated that they're the ones having to do it now, um, and they just want to get them back into school and, and let the the teachers take over and start doing their thing again. Right. You know, I, I have talked to. I'm trying to get a couple of people on the show that have um, decided to homeschool since having um, the schools shut down since doing the distance learning. Mm-hmm they're new at it and they're a little more apprehensive, I think, to, to come on and, and talk about it and share their story, but they are there. And I think it's something that homeschooling is one of those things you like, you have to make sacrifices. You have to have one parent stay home or, you know, you have to figure out a schedule that allows parents to work. And I would love to say that everybody should homeschool. I don't think that everybody is necessarily cut out to do it or able to do it. I don't know. It's one of those, I've been having that discussion like in my brain recently, like, uh, you know, should, should everybody homeschool? What does that, what does that look like? Is there something you can salvage out of the public school um, system? And this whole COVID thing kind of spurred that on a little bit. Sure. Kind of just wondering um, your thoughts on, on school, homeschool, and 
what's the end goal? You know, what do, do you want to see the the whole school system shut down and, and broken down into homeschooling co-ops and that sort of thing? Is is there a place for a a public education system that might be, you know, more localized, uh, more more powers in the uh, local governments as opposed to the the federal government? Yeah, it was interesting. This came up in the discussion I was having uh, this morning as well. Somebody said, hey, is Bill Gates trying to meddle in public schools in New York? And I said, he's not just trying. He's been invited to meddle in public schools in New York. And um, I I think there was a a lot of protest. This story actually surfaced maybe in May where uh, Governor Cuomo invited, you know, Bill Gates to bestow his wisdom on uh, the future of education, to reimagine education in New York. And um, Bill Gates has actually a lot of experiments with smaller schools that still basically follow all of the the strictures of public school. And they also set a criteria for what made a successful school. And it came down to something like uh, good attendance, ready for college and able to pass to like uh, competency tests. So not much of a reimagining, right? Just kind of applying like the reimagining, I guess, is imagine a smaller building, imagine uh, more teachers and less kids kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Some of the cynicism that I'm feeling right now as I'm watching kids go back to school and I'm watching, you know, all of the, the rules and regulations now incorporate all of the COVID stuff. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of teachers, and I, and I really feel for teachers and I really feel for parents in this situation. So I don't want to come across mm-hmm. as sounding judgmental. I'm sure this is a, is a terribly difficult thing uh, to deal with. And I'm, you know, a, a lot more people are working from home now, which is great, which gives them more opportunities. And I was also really hoping that the bringing school home last March would have two positive effects, even if uh, one of them seemed negative at first. The one that seems negative at first, you brought up, which is like parents are going, what the hell is going on here? Uh, My kid can do all this work in two or three hours. Why are they in this place? Mm -hmm. You know, that's sucking like all, it was, that's in the name of school sucks, how how much money (laughs) is sucked away from uh, other uh, educational options just by the fact that people are forced to pay for their schools, which basically closes a door to them. You know, if you're a homeowner in a community and you're paying, you know, whatever it is, 50% of your property tax goes to the schools, how open are you to options in a situation where the money is not going to follow the child, right? Where there's not going to be school choice, where there's not going to be a voucher system. How open would you be to, to looking at other options? Or, in addition to your property tax bill, thinking about shelling out for even something like private school, which is as far as people, most people, I think, get in consideration of alternatives. But seeing that there is a tremendous amount of waste going on, that uh, son or daughter goes off to school for nine hours and then for some reason comes home with two or three more hours of work, and now under parental, some parental supervision, all of the schoolwork can be completed in two or three hours a day, giving kids this tremendous opportunity of of their own time, right? Give, giving them their own lives back to an extent. There's a silver lining of it. But parents saying, well, wait a minute, there's a lot of waste here. But also on the time freedom side, people had this opportunity. And again, I'm, I'm borrowing Jack Spearco's language here in his article. People had the opportunity to test drive something, yeah. right? Now, you pointed out, I heard a podcast that you did with Julie Borowski, and at the end of it, you were talking about, this was probably months ago, right? And you said, what is being called homeschooling right now is not homeschooling. There are um, opportunities beyond what your 
currently calling homeschooling. The school has been transferred into the home to switch back to the cynical side of this. You know, one of the things that people have said about the phenomenon of so many people working remote now is that the barrier between work life and home life is gone. And I think there was a threat that the barrier between home life and school life would be gone. If, um, I don't know, kids didn't assert themselves, and uh, Jack talked about this in one of his articles, his grandson realized the opportunity. Like, oh, I'm not trapped in this concrete building all day. Look at all the things that I could be doing. So at this point, looking at what happened over the summer, and I I think I'll be able to make a more informed decision after a couple months of the 2021 school year go by, I do not think school has the agility to adjust. I mean, what does effectiveness mean in the schools anyway? Right. But they're, they're not going to be able to effectively deal with these new challenges. And I hope uh, a lot more people do look for outside of school entirely kinds of options here. So you mentioned smaller schools. Uh, I'm really excited about the developments with these learning pods where a teacher or somebody qualified to teach just grabs, you know, a handful of kids, yeah. like five kids. And states are cracking down on this too. I've seen articles about Massachusetts cracking down on pods and teachers need to be certified for more than five kids and you can't take payments. Uh, (laughs) But that's a positive development. Carrie McDonald from Fee, uh, we talked about micro schooling. I think that was even last year. I think that was 2019 before any of this started to happen. Uh, So micro schools, uh, especially if if they have some kind of niche, right? People come together around some kind of common interest and then, Mm -hmm. you know, other content areas are just kind of delivered uh, around or or through that community. I think all of those things are really, really positive developments. And now there is this moment where between 50 and 60 million kids are getting a chance to test drive some other form of education, right? Some kind of outside of schooling. Uh, And and if it's just transferring school to the home, you know, using the word education is debatable, but they're going through the motions of school, which most people feel is synonymous with education still somehow. uh, And they're seeing that there's another way to do it. Obviously, the parents are seeing that as well. And there might start to be some serious questions about why this system eats up so much time and money. And I think all of those are potentially very, very positive developments. But I think the school system will fight it to the end. And last, <laughs> last thing on that, a lot of that obviously has to do with all of the um, economic interests. I mean, there are so many companies that are just set up around serving the schools, yeah. you know, technology, equipment, books, construction, all of these things where it's kind of like... If the future of this is uncertain, all of those businesses are going to take a hit. How many teachers could could wind up unemployed over the next couple of years? Yeah. How do they transition into other careers? And what happens to their pension funds? Like the, the, the dominoes that could fall in all different directions um, just from this initial knock of the, of the COVID thing. It's hard to predict, but it's certainly pretty ominous as far as like the future of school is concerned, I think. I think I hope so, right? <laughs> it's tough. It is tough. When you throw that economic wrench into things and you start thinking about, you know, the contracts involved and the the teachers and the teachers union and the the pensions and all that, it, it can it can get sticky. But I, I think it at the end of the day, you know, the, the system currently using isn't working. And that's the problem too, is that the system extends so far beyond just like what mm-hmm. is education for children. It's like, what is daycare for parents? It's, it's true. Like really when you look at school and you look at how it's progressed and, and the amount of time and what it has become, it really is just, it's daycare. You know, it really has become more of a, a daycare system and how many schools have, you know, after school programs and 
And I know it's tough, man. It's tough. Like there are days when it's, you know, you wish you had somebody else raising your kids. Uh, But, you know, at the end of it, I think it's a, it's a worthy venture for sure to, to try to give your kids that, uh, what they need. Oh, I, I mean, I totally hear what you're saying. Even, you know, I always do have to point out that I'm not a parent, but I've been in plenty of relationships and I know one of the things that maintains, you know, the healthy function of a relationship is space, right? Mm -hmm. A kind of, uh, predictable planned, uh, departure. Mom gets away from dad, mom gets away from the kids, uh, the kids get away from dad. Like all of these things have to happen. Uh, I think uh, to some extent, and and people also need to, especially when they're young, have some kind of individual experience, which is another thing that I think school really takes away from them. If you consider the the time commitment that it has been and um, what for many kids, this situation has given them back. I've talked to my niece who is like 12, a whole bunch about this. And um, there's certainly aspects of school that she misses, you know, like obviously at that age, the social piece is super, super important. I've had other conversations with friends who have older kids who are like worried about, you know, how is my daughter going to find someone to date? You know, there's no social scene. And, and again, it's like, that's the, that's the problem of, of this system that's doing too many things. Like this is your social life. It's kind of like people talk about religious cults and I hate to do this. Sorry, school. I hate to compare you to religious (laughs) cults. Sorry, all the people who work in school, you're not cult members. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's kind of like a religious cult in that one of the things that uh, a cult aims to do is have a kind of full spectrum dominance over the participants, right? Where if you leave the cult, what do you have? Where, how, who are you going to play soccer with if you're not in the cult, right? Who are your friends going to be? How are you going to find someone to marry? Where are you going to get spiritual guidance? Where are you going to learn things? It's, you know, the cult and then this scary sort of unclear world outside of it. So school has become an institution that over the last century is reaching into more aspects of the personal life, of the family life, of the community life. It affects, obviously, people's attitudes towards work. Uh, you know, there's lots of, you know, especially when I was a tutor working in, you know, wealthy areas outside of um, Boston, there were, there were situations where both parents did not need to be working. Right. Right? And they were just totally outsourcing educational enrichment to me, a practical stranger who they were paying. And, yeah. and that didn't need to be the case. And, and again, it's not, it's hard to not feel judgmental when you know, like dad is a president of a bank and mom is, you know, has some, run some kind of nonprofit and no one, they, they hardly spend any time with their own children. Like it's hard not to be judgmental in, in yeah. having seen that so many times where it's like, what are these people trying to attain? What are they trying to keep up with? And that frustrated me. Uh, back then, especially when I saw how it's like, oh, you're in good hands with with Mr. Brett, you know, well, how do you know? Right. The same thing. How, how do you know they're in good hands at Needham High School where you shuffle them off to, uh, you know, seven, eight hours every day? I think uh, like and this is like, like you said, with the, the religious cult trying to dominate everything. And one of the issues that we'll see, like with this whole COVID thing and, and the distance learning, I think people are getting a bad taste or people that think that this was homeschooling things with this, this is what homeschooling will be this distance learning thing. Um, if they take that plunge and like, it's not, you know, like you will still, you will have the, all the social stuff, right? Like all those social scenes that, that existed before have been shut down. And like when you're homeschooling your kids, like you can go play soccer, you can go to church, you can go hang out at the, the Denny's for pancakes, you know, whatever it is, those things are all there. And so you get that stuff. And I think that, yes, school is a, a social structure, but if we weren't all being locked down, I think we would find those social structures outside. 
that that wouldn't be one of the big longings to get back to school for kids. Cause I know I've talked to kids too that have been like, Oh, I'm, I'm I want to go back. So I want to see my friends. I haven't seen my friends in six months, you know, mm-hmm. and who can, who can blame them. And it's hard to, you know, you don't want to judge people because um, we all make different decisions and, you know, but it is when you're outsourcing, you're using the school when you're using, you know, an individual tutor as you're parenting, it makes you question a little bit. I'm like, man, I should say that I was qualified to do something that a lot of parents mm-hmm. weren't qualified to do. Um, if, if it was like SAT or ACT or SAT2 or, or college yeah. consulting, like those, I had a specialty that they didn't have. But a lot of tutoring that I did was, was just academic, right? And it was, it was a feeling. They were just being sent off with, with me. It, it just felt like a lack of investment. Well, financially, you know, you live in Needham, Massachusetts, right? In a half a million dollar house. What are you paying every year in property tax? 50% of that goes to the school. So you are deeply invested in this thing, but you're not showing any, and I would have conversations with the parents after that would reinforce this. You're not showing any like emotional investment in, uh, and this would be like only child, two kids. Like the parents should have had time. Uh, but I just so often got the sense that there was a complete lack of interest and a complete lack of emotional investment in what, you know, for let's say uh, if you're getting a, a bill for thirty or $40,000 a year for this thing, what is it? What are you paying for? You know, there weren't a lot of questions or a lot of curiosity around that. I think the stigma around school, right? You go to school, the teachers are, they'll have their masters. Some of them have their PhDs. They're, they're so well-versed in all these topics. And, you know, your student has to learn this from the teacher because they're the only ones capable of knowing this information. And I think to some degree, parents are, are kind of scared off of that, right? I'm, I'm not qualified to do that. Like, that's not my background. I, you know, I'm a doctor and I, I can check your reflexes, but I can't, I can't teach you uh, math or civil war history. I, you know what I mean? I think they're kind of, sometimes parents are, are scared off of that or it's made to seem that, um, you know, you're, you're not an expert and you have to be an expert to do that stuff. And, you know, it's hard. It can be hard, you know, as kids get older, it gets tougher, but there's a million resources out there that you can find and, and utilize. Yeah. I mean, that was the monopoly that school had for a long time was it's like, this is the only place where if we want well-rounded individuals. This is the only place that has all of this information and can provide it uh, in a somewhat efficient manner to young people. You know, and that was true until around the time we graduated from high school when suddenly there was this developing technology that had way more than school had. You know? And then it was like, well, okay, school is the only place that can curate it. So I think that the, the next step in the in the, the development of this is who can position, and lots of people are doing this really effectively already, but who can position themselves as effective curators of information? So you look at something like, something that's really niche down to to a certain segment, but it's very popular, like the Ron Paul homeschool curriculum. It's like, right. we've we've done that, they say, to the people who are interested in the Ron Paul homeschool curriculum. We've put together uh, the comprehensive package of what you need to know. Now... So I don't want to say anybody can do that because school can't do it. And that's a lot of people, but (laughs) lots of people have this power now to curate information towards some kind of end. And they're probably far more efficient and far more flexible in doing it than the schools are, uh, considering they're still teaching, you know, a lot of 
uh, outdated information. And the cost of updating information is only driving the bill that taxpayers get up you know, year after year. And they're still not teaching, I think, most of the important things uh, that people need to know. You're not learning uh, emotional intelligence in school. You're not learning about entrepreneurship. You're not developing uh, better communication and negotiation skills. You're certainly not developing, um, I would say, effective, independent, critical thinking skills. There's, they certainly use the phrase critical thinking, yep. but in most cases, we're finding it just means agreeing with what authorities tell you. Yeah, I had a little discussion with someone about that the other day. Just uh, He said schools, schools don't teach children to think critically. And I, I just kind of chiding back that like, sure they do. That's what they, you know, that's, that's, I mean, all this stuff is like, I mean, teachers go to in their, you know, all their master's work that, that you do and you, you're taught to teach kids to think critically. And at the end of the day, that's not at all what it is. Um, you know, and you think, I was thinking about that the other day, the amount of education that goes into a teacher, like learning. And I, I just, it's mind blowing how much goes into that. And then five years down the road, it's, it's wrong. The information that, that you learned, the teaching techniques you learned or whatever were, were wrong and they're, they're being retaught. And it, I don't know, it made me think how futile some of those degrees are, you know? Um, I, there was a point in my life and I know you initially approached me about talking about my background. And I promise I will answer any questions you have. <laughs> Um, but there was a point in my in my life where there was nothing that was more exciting because the the tunnel of possibility was so narrow. Seventeen years ago for me, sixteen years ago, that and that doesn't even seem like that long ago. But the tunnel of possibility with what I could do for my life to feel fulfilled and happy and and growing in a career was like I had to teach history and I had to do it in a public school. Right, I had to be in front of people telling interesting stories. Um, you know, building enthusiasm for something that I thought was important. That was how I was going to get meaning. And suddenly I found myself, you know, getting certified and also getting a master's degree simultaneously. And in the master's classes, it was all current teachers in states like Massachusetts and New York. Um, terrible places to, um, well, to do anything really except sightsee. <laughs> and, and it just felt like in my early 20s, maybe mid 20s, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who are my age or a couple years older. And they're basically just communicating day in and day out that they're teaching careers their own personal health. And that was uh, a shift for me. It was very, I had a really, really hard time kind of processing that. And it was, um, it was a difficult period in life for sure. Uh, going through that and realizing like what I thought I had been wanting to do for like four years, which seemed like a huge chunk of my life then, <laughs> not only not the right track, but I might have been going four years in the wrong direction, possibly, you know, especially considering like I, I was a communications major and I was really interested in like broadcasting and all that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was super discouraging. Uh, but but it was the thing that started to like force me to look more broadly at, at possibilities. And I wanted uh, to just ask you, because you were a public school teacher. Yeah. If you could go from like, I want to be a teacher, for the sake of my audience getting to know you, go from like, I want to be a teacher to like, I'm pulling my kids out of school or my, my son out of school, or I'm never, I'm never sending my son to first grade after the experience that he had in kindergarten, which I think is most accurate. I remember I had a couple of teachers in high school that um, stuck out that like made me question things. Um, I, I had one social studies teacher and it was, I think it was a, a 
fabulous 60s class. It was an elective. And, and he asked us all on the first day or something. It's how I remember it. He may have asked later than that. But George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and uh, and JFK, right? Why, why do we know those names, right? Because George Washington couldn't tell a lie. Abe Lincoln freed all the slaves. And JFK was, I don't know, just this big flashy character. And all those things that we've come to know about our, our historical figures aren't incredibly accurate at all. Um, and he just started kind of got me questioning all the stuff that I, I knew, right? Everything that I had learned and, well, is this really what it, what it means or what, what's the real truth behind it? And just kind of eye-opening. And it was, he made learning fun and interesting. And so I, I kind of wanted to, to do that in my own way. Because I had plenty of teachers that were, they were absolute garbage and just, you know, bore the crap out of you and, you know, you go take a nap in the back of the class. Um, so I kind of wanted to do that. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I went through, I did my, my master's work and I, I kind of got frustrated with some of the, the busy work part of it, but it was still things I enjoyed, right? Like I, I enjoy English. I like writing. I like reading. I enjoy those things. So going further in depth in that, um, I didn't, didn't mind it. Some of the teaching stuff kind of started to annoy me. It just kind of seemed just busy work type stuff, you know, right. having to write your lesson plan out like five minute chunks for the entire day for an entire week and have somebody look at that and, and check it off and, and make sure that, you know, what I have on paper is adequate, right? Not, not are the students getting the right information? Are the students happy and learning and, and thriving? Are you doing the paperwork correctly? Um, not to speak poorly of, of the school that I taught at, um, lots of nice people, but this was 2010, 2009, 2010 in Brooklyn. One of the, the stats that they touted was how many kids they had sent to college, right? Nobody said anything about the retention rate or, or anything like that, or how many of these kids used their degree afterwards to find a job or how many came out without massive loans that they probably wouldn't be able to pay back. And we didn't, you know, nobody talked about that. But I remember there was one kid um, that ended up going to college and, and he came back and it was, it was heartbreaking because he was, he was such a gearhead. He like, he could tell you anything about like cars and like, that was what he needed to do. He needed to like go work in a, a mechanic shop and start his own business and, you know, take that route. And that route wasn't there for him. He couldn't do that. No one would help him down that, that lane because we can't have kids doing that. We got to send kids to college. We got to go to school and get four-year degrees because that's what we need. And it just, and you start seeing that more and more that there's just, I don't know if it's a, a stigma around kind of blue collar trade that we can't do that. Or if it's just this um, sort of brainwashing of, you know, the, the system encouraging people to go to school, to take loans out, to uh, get you into that, that debt system kind of struck me and, and made, made me sad, really. It was just kind of really crappy to see this kid kind of missed out on something he could have been really, really good at. Um, Oh, and then come down here to to Georgia. My wife's a doctor, and we wanted one one of us to stay home with the kids. So that was that was me. She made more money than I did as a teacher. Uh, so I was home, and we went to kindergarten. And it just um, I don't know. It was it was a lot. They expected a lot, and it wasn't healthy thing in in our eyes. Um, you know, it, just the lack of communication, the lack of um, parental involvement, right? Five, five years old, six years old, they get there at eight o'clock and they get picked up at three o'clock. Well, I, I had the luxury of being able to, to take him in and, and pick him up. But if he wanted to take the bus, he'd be getting on the bus at six 30 and getting home at five after four, 10 after four. 
I mean, that's, that's a, a work day for, for an adult, you know, and you're expecting a, a five-year-old to be doing that. And it just kind of, it's like, no, no, we can't do this. And I, I remember him coming home with stories and, you know, what, what'd you do today? Or like, you know, and he'd, he'd get done with his worksheet and then have to put his head down on the table and wait for other kids in class to catch up type thing. And it's just that waste of time. Yeah. Didn't uh, sit well with us. So we decided to pull him out and give it a shot and see how it went. And we, we enjoyed it and kids are thriving and we're going to keep doing it. Absolutely. You know, this was one of the, the things that I found most interesting about your, your story. There was a blog article on your, on your website, which is homesteadsandhomeschools.com, and it's called Making the Decision. Five years before, again, this is another non-parent perspective. Um, five years before you're, you're deliberating this, I'm a teacher in the 2005-2006 school year. And then in the 2006-2007 school year, I've shifted into this advocacy role for, for kids as a tutor and then for older kids, you know, like SAT stuff and college consulting. But I'm now on the kid's side. And to me, it exposed, that, that transition exposed what an adversarial relationship school actually created uh, between people who are supposedly doing enrichment, enlightenment, at the very least delivering some kind of service, and the actual uh, service recipient. I went through the 2006-2007 school year going, what the hell have I been doing since the year uh, 2001? You know, what, what have I been involved in? And, and like my job had all kinds of other unfortunate functions like giving kids medication mm-hmm. to, to suddenly be in the child camp, in the family camp and reevaluate the system from that point of view. I didn't feel great about what I had been doing. So I kind of got that when I was reading your making the decision blog article from I think a few years ago, that that was a real turning point for you too. The way it flowed, being there, being part of it and, and not having, I don't know, supports the right word or just that's the system though, right? Like that's, that's how it's, that's, that's what it's become. I think like you, you don't, you don't have that relationship. Those relationships aren't there anymore because it, it makes it harder, right? Like it makes it harder to do what you need to do to, to give the test, to do all the stuff. And you, you don't want people in your hair getting, getting in the way. No, I get it. I get it. I mean, and, and that was the thing because because I was reflecting on my experience as like kids are annoying, parents are annoying, they're in the way of this thing going smoothly to then suddenly being on the feelings and needs side of them. And it was just like, uh, you know, a very, a very necessary reframing for getting me to, to where I am today for sure was that transition. And it's tough too because when you're in there, like I was, I subbed for a little while when my daughter was born, my wife was out on maternity leave. And you're seeing the teachers that do want to be a part of that, that, that want to build those relationships with, with parents or whatever, not being able to do that because they're just being bogged down with whatever else it may be, testing or, you know, drawing up lesson plans or whatever it may be that, that might not be as necessary as fostering uh, relationships with, with the families. I talked to this guy last year who publicly resigned. I think he was in Florida. You know, our conversation got mixed reviews. Like some people felt like he was complaining too much, but I understood his complaints that like, yeah. uh, you know, people watch the school budget and then, you know, their subsequent <laughs> property tax bills go up year after year. And they say, what? Look at all this waste. Look at these teachers living high on the hog. 
And, you know, you talk to people who work in that profession and they're like, yeah, we wish, you know, like, yeah, our Mm -hmm. benefits package is great. The salary works out when you actually compare it to hours worked in a year, but it's not glamorous. And a lot of that money is just going into um, an expanding administrative budget. So, and then the teachers are put out in front of it. Like, don't you? People care about teachers and yeah. children. It's kind of like how soldiers are you. Well, you got to support the troops, right? How well, if you don't support the troops, how are we going to have this war? And then you know, how are all these banks going to get paid? That's why I remember, I remember that conversation and um, I, I, I appreciate it. I don't remember the details, but I don't remember coming out of it saying, well, that didn't make sense. I kind of got what he was saying, but um, I felt like I, I saw a graph or a chart somewhere and it showed like, you know, the, the increase in, school dollars and school budget. And when it, when it charted out, it like all that money went to administration. Teachers saw very little of that, all this money that's coming in, all this new money, and it's just going to administration and, and new administrative positions um, that could probably otherwise be, be eliminated and put some of that money back into uh, some of the other things. But that's always a tricky question too, right? Because like you, when you teach, it's you know eight months and you have your summer off. But at the same time, like your summer's not really off. Now, I remember uh, in 2005, that summer, I worked probably 50, 50 hours a week at home. I planned the entire year. I planned the entire year. So when the school year came, forget why I did this. Because I, I started to like in the first year that I worked at this school, it was called Great Expectations, which is not a great name for a school. <laughs> but... I worked at Great Expectations, which I'm sure now is closed. It was, a, it was a private school. I started to think in the first year that I worked there, I'm like, I could probably pull this off in like less than 30 hours a week, right? Like, because I found myself like staying after school, like planning for the next day, just kind of doing a real like paycheck to paycheck approach with my mm-hmm. uh, preparedness. So uh, I took an August, planned out basically an entire year of what I wanted to do after I realized I could basically do whatever. I mean, I was showing kids like Apollo hoax videos and stuff like that. Like I was really wild. And because uh, <laughs> uh, I think this is like when YouTube was new or definitely Google okay. was out. So I was like downloading stuff somehow and putting it on CDs and bringing it into school and like watching it. And the kids were just like... Also meeting like kids who, who didn't know what 9-11 was in 2005. That was an, an, an side topic. But um, <laughs> I planned out the entire year. It was like a very, uh, you know, adventurous year of history content. And I wound up working like, I think, 28 hours a week was about my average. Yes. Yeah. Right. So Good deal. I also, I want to make good on my promise to answer any questions that you had for me when you originally pitch the idea of doing the show. I was curious, like when your switch kind of flipped and you're like, okay, maybe this is, is not such a good idea. Maybe rethink our ideas of what education should look like. Yeah. And we use that language a lot. And I, I know I do it too. Like what was your aha moment? When did the switch flipped? What was the turning point? Uh, but if you think about like the philosophy that, of education that I put out on School Sucks for over 10 years versus what my philosophy of education and life was as a college graduate in the year 2000, it's not just one switch that's flipped the wrong way, right? It's yeah. like an entire system that needs to be rewired. Re- <laughs> it's like, as Bill Gates would call it, a reimagining, right, of everything. It's like everything has to change, like, you know, the concept of the, the individual uh, and then like philosophical concepts like collectivism, altruism, all of these, like everything 
that I had learned up to the age of 21 outside of like reading, writing, and arithmetic uh, needed to be deeply reconsidered. And through that reconsideration, I realized that I, even though by the time I graduated from college, I think this is one of the a feature of college is you think you're pretty smart when you, when you get a four-year degree, especially if you've had a lot of like education and social topics through like history mm-hmm. or economics or sociology or any of those. You think you're coming out of there really, really wise. And, um, you know, so there I was 21 years old thinking I was pretty smart and immediately began a process of realizing I didn't know anything. Yeah. and that aside from the story that I told about realizing that I had been going the wrong way down a career path, um, it happened at the right time for it to actually be like a really exciting and invigorating thing because like, you know, Google video and YouTube were new. And, uh, it was funny. I just did a, uh, I just did a round table with the guys who made loose change, Mm-hmm. Um, which was, I, you know, this movie that I remember seeing is one of the first internet documentaries um, back in like 2005. And I was like, wow, you know, uh, how, how amazing. And then there, there, there was just a, there, this site came up like top, in, uh, top documentary films, I think is the name of the site. And then the explosion of YouTube and the explosion of podcasts. And right at my most curious moment, it was just like the world was like, here, here's everything. <laughs> Good luck sorting through it. But like, the answers are out there if you want to find them. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy the journey. So me gradually waking up between like maybe graduating from college and starting to write down the ideas that became School Sucks podcast in, in 2005 and 2006. It, it just, I was very lucky uh, that it happened when it did. Yeah. It's, it, you think about that, that what we have, what people that homeschooled back in the 70s and the 80s. What were, what were they doing? What were they using? My gosh. Can you imagine going to the library and having to get out the Dewey Decimal card system and find all your stuff. Yeah, but I also hope they were just as much out in the real world as oh, yeah. a lot of people who do unschooling or home education or real world education, uh, you know, are today, I hope. And, uh, you know, interacting with teacher, being involved in their community, learning uh, cause and effect, you know, like all of those really important lessons, like living and learning are synonyms uh, far more than schooling and learning are, you know, as far as I'm sure. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh, and and now it's an even more golden age of opportunity with, um, you know, everything that's available and um, uh, more people are at home with their kids all day. Uh, more people are motivated to look at uh, alternatives. And while it's, uh, you know, people say the scariest time that maybe we've ever lived through, it's also, it's it's really exciting. And I hope that, um, you know, we can continue to be good guides for people who are looking for answers. With what Yeah, we- I hope so. I hope so. It's one of those things, you know, it seems scary and, and it seems daunting at first, but it's, you know, I think if you, if you're truly invested, like it, you can do it. You know, uh, there's no reason why you can't homeschool your children uh, and give them a, a better education than they'd receive in the, the public school system. It's in your, it's just kind of like a personal curiosity and hopefully mm. you find it interesting. How do you feel about the word homeschool? Because you use it in your URL and I'll tell you what I've learned through the years is that's actually smart because, the, and this is another conversation that I've been having. Like I think I, I talked to my most recent podcast guest, uh, Wes, about it, but I've also I've uh, been having lots of private conversations about this. Like right now, more people than ever before are looking for answers and they don't speak the same language that I speak, 
right? Most people don't know the word unschooling or self-directed learning. They don't know who John Taylor Gatto is and, the, and all the other things they talk about that I think maybe the average person would just find terrifying or offensive yeah. or, or maybe they would think it was stupid or far-fetched or naive or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there is a bridge to build between the needs and the fears and the questions that people have right now and the answers that we've probably started to compile through the kinds of work that we do. Right. So homeschooling is certainly an imperfect word, but you must have found it useful enough to include it in the, the name of your show and in your URL. Because I'm trying to come around on it myself. Um, yes. No. It, uh, <laughs> I, had, I had so many like different titles I was thinking about and, and this that one just kind of worked. And I, I kind of want to leave some some words out of it um, that might scare people. Like, you know, I, liberty or anything like that along those lines or freedom. That's, uh, you know, sort of stuff. Um, homeschools kind of fit repetition there with, with homesteads. And I think it was more of that. I do think the word, like you said, it's imperfect, but I think it's, it's, it's encompassing. Yeah. I, I've just, I've been thinking about it a lot as um, what is the translation that I need to make between what I have and what people are looking for? Is it, you know, a kid sitting at a desk uh, or no, not sitting at a desk, where do you get a desk? He's sitting at his kitchen table, right? With mom's over his shoulder. He's got a stack of books that are old and dusty because, you know, they don't, you, you don't get new yeah. books. You don't go to school. And, um, you know, something like this is not homeschooling, right? right. This, is, this is not what we're talking about with homeschooling. I think, I think it's really important that you get people in with that word and then you move them on to uh, better ideas as swiftly as possible. I think, because that was something I, I kind of noticed on, on our homeschool journey right in, in the beginning like there's a progression to to getting to to that point where you're going to pull your kids out of school but then there's a progression within the actual process of schooling your own children you know like the first time you know somebody's thinking about homeschooling their kids and, and you hit them with unschooling um you know, there's a good chance that uh they're gonna walk away and never think about it again you know but that's something that has a lot of value and, and it's a process to getting there and, and understanding it you know um so I think that's kind of one of the things I was I hope to do, try to do is is get some of those other ideas out there within the the flow of it all, not not scare people off. <laughs> oh yeah, it's I'm far less into scaring people than I used to be. It's all like I, I yeah, I, as I kind of looked at a lot of the lot of the, the the stuff I did, you know, going back over the last fifteen years, even with teaching, is I wanted to like break people's frames, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily mm-hmm. like a constructive thing. I think it was just about some kind of feeling of personal power. It's like mm-hmm. I think why people are attracted to like progressivism and it's why a lot of people are attracted to libertarianism or, or conspiracy theory. And then to just be able to stand in front of a room and break people's entire like conception of reality, like how powerful, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, and now it's kind of like as the stakes are raised, it's, it's not about being, I mean, I, I would say this has been true for me for a number of years, but there's, there's far less payoff for being adversarial or, you know, trolling or upsetting people, mm-hmm. doing any of those things. And now we're able to see what people are dealing with in the midst of this crisis, especially around the issue of, of school and career, which I think is, is another big part of, of what I talk about at School Sucks. They're desperate for better solutions. And I'm really committed to just figuring out how, what's, what's the most effective way to, to offer them 
at least a path to the people who have them because I certainly don't have them all, right? Yeah. But there's a lot of people who need to know about educational alternatives or um, career search um, alternatives. That's, so that's where a lot of my focus has been, like trying to figure that out. Yeah, it's a it's a worthy worthy search. You know, got somebody's got to curate it all someplace and disseminate it. So, well, that's what I, that's what we're all trying to do, I think. And um, I was really happy to to hear about homesteads and, and homeschools. And uh, I would definitely, if we have no loose ends, I would just say I definitely look forward to talking more in the future. And your website is homesteads and homeschools. Mine is schoolsucksproject.com. Is there anything else you would want people listening to this to do besides listen? I'm, I'm awful at plugging. So no, just go, go listen and do your thing. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for uh, having me on. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And you, you also do uh, the podcast as part of like a podcast network, right? I'm trying to put together uh, like a comprehensive network on the future of education. I've talked to lots of people who I think are making their own unique contributions to this space. So mm-hmm. something you'd be interested in, it's definitely a conversation we could have in the future about getting your show involved. And it's uh, there's a lot of things to figure out. I've been working on it for a while, but I was really excited to find homesteads and homeschools. So keep up the great work. You too. I, I appreciate it. I've been listening for, for a while here. So <laughs> you too. Appreciate it. guys i hope you all enjoyed that conversation i did and i uh yeah i really i really hope you guys did as well like i said at the top of the show go go check out brett's show if you haven't um he has just a, a huge community um, built around around everything we talked about if it's something you're interested in you will benefit immensely from from all that he has to to offer go and do that uh, and you know if you haven't subscribed yet subscribe Go ahead, subscribe to the show. Uh, leave me a review on iTunes because all of that apparently matters. Go over to homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon. Click through the little funny link there and uh, you know, buy your buy your goodies because I'll get a little kickback of that. Very small percentages, but uh, something nonetheless. And if you want to support the show more, you can go over to patreon.com slash the Liberty Hippie and sign up on there. Uh, there's some merchandise, seeds, bonus content. But uh, yeah, and and you know, you guys, um, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. I, I want to. The show needs to to do something. I need to do something with it. It needs to. Uh, I don't know if mature is the right word, or or grow, or expand. I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure it out myself. But if you have ideas, if you have input, I am all ears. I'm listening. So reach out and let me know. Otherwise, folks, go out there. Enjoy the fall weather. If you are sending your kids to school, enjoy that, I guess. I don't know. It's a little daunting, a little daunting. Today is the first day that uh, our two young'uns will be headed to the uh, public school. And I will rip into that at uh, on, the, on the recap, the monthly recap show that I do at the end of September. I've already got a million things to say about it, and I know there will be more in just a matter of a few weeks. So check in to that. That's why you have to hit that subscribe button. Right? Otherwise, you, you might miss it. You can't miss that. Anyway, guys, that's that's all for now. Really, really is. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your life. And uh, get out there. Sow those seeds of liberty. We can all reap cheese freedom together. Dreams.